0: Democrats are calling for a day of mourning for Qasem Soleimani, the man who was called Iran's most revered military leader by the Washington Post where democracy dies in darkness, if they have anything to say about it. Soleimani, who was Iran's most revered military leader because he was responsible for the deaths of hundreds of American soldiers, was in the midst of plotting more such deaths when he himself died under mysterious circumstances, namely a missile decorated with the words, Dear Qasem, here's a missile in your ear from your friends in America. Love, President Trump and all my fellow Americans, except Democrats and The Washington Post. Soon afterwards, Soleimani woke up in paradise surrounded by virgins, Although it was a lot hotter than he thought it was going to be, and the virgins were large, muscular men with tattoos that said things like, welcome to hell, my new biatch. Crowds gathered to mourn Soleimani in Tehran yesterday and then rushed home in order to continue campaigning in Iowa. Bernie Sanders responded to Soleimani's death by saying, quote, of course he was a terrorist, but who could forget his sparkling eyes, his charming smile, and that little laugh that wrinkled his nose just before he slaughtered my countrymen, unquote. Democrat Senate leader Chuck Schumer wept copiously as he issued a statement to the painting in his basement of sad-eyed clowns holding puppies. Schumer sobbed, quote, If only the president had informed me of his decision to launch this strike, all this sorrow could have been avoided, unquote. These are the subtle jokes. you got to pay attention. At universities around the country, students poured out of their transgender theory classes to protest the U.S. war in Iran. They were led by Congresswoman Alexandria Occasional Cortex, who told the crowd, quote, We cannot defeat terrorists by killing them. Only when we stand by and do nothing will they realize they can never win, unquote. When the students were informed that there actually was no war in Iran, they returned to their dorms and continued smoking dope and watching porn. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. Life is a giddy Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky boo ship Shipshape, dipsy, topsy. The world is a bittersing. It's a wonderful day. Hoorah! Hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hoorah! Hooray!
1: Oh, hooray!
0: Hoorah! All right, it was a bad weekend for Democrats. Not only did Trump bomb a terrorist leader, Ricky Gervais. Gervais. Bombed Hollywood, and we'll talk all about that. Obviously, I was joking in that opening satire about Democrats mourning the death of Qasem Soleimani, but I was only just barely joking. The reactions have been amazing. Look, if you don't enjoy the dishonesty, corruption, and fake sincerity of politics, You shouldn't pay attention to politics. All that stuff is the fun part. When Nancy Pelosi says she prays for a president she obviously hates, and when fake conservative columnist David Brooks declares this hypocritical garbage a wonderful Christian witness, and when Chris Matthews over at MSNBC intones that Pelosi is taking her sham impeachment show with, quote, sacramental seriousness because she dressed in black while reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, probably with the help of cue cards— These are the kinds of displays of grotesque, po-faced mendacity that make politics the hilarious circus of fallen human nature that it is. This is what I'm here for, so we can all continue laughing our way through the fall of the republic. The point is, I'm rarely shocked by whatever nonsense politicians do or say. Sometimes they annoy me, but mostly they just crack me up. But I was legitimately shocked by the Democrat reaction to Trump's triumphant destruction of one of the worst people on the planet. Plus... The head of the terrorist group Hezbollah and a bunch of their terrorist pals. Not only did the Washington Post talk about how revered Soleimani was, a reporter for the New York Times, a former newspaper, tweeted out video of Soleimani reciting wistful poetry about how his friends had gone away while he was left behind. Well, now he no longer has that problem, and he and his friends are reunited in the eternal flames of a just and terrible damnation, and we should all be glad. But we're not all glad. In our now almost completely useless House of Representatives, shapely knucklehead Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez declared the targeted killing of a known killer an act of war. It wasn't. It was a totally legal act of self-defense against a man who, according to our State Department, orchestrated 17 percent of all deaths of U.S. personnel in Iraq from 2003 to 2011. That's over 600 of our troops. Cortez went on to call the president a monster for letting the Iranians know they'd be sorry if they tried to strike back anti-Semitic terrorist supporter Ilhan Omar, and that's not hyperbole, she openly supports the Council on American-Islamic Relations, which has close ties to Hamas, and was named an unindicted co-conspirator in a scheme to funnel money to Hamas. Omar said she was outraged by what she called Soleimani's assassination. Bernie Sanders also called it an assassination and refused to criticize Soleimani at all. Elizabeth Warren began by criticizing him, then stopped when she came under fire from the left and began proposing a conspiracy theory about how Trump was trying to distract from the make-believe impeachment no one was paying attention to anyway. Let me be honest about this. When Osama bin Laden was taken out during the administration of Barack Obama, it cost me something to sing Obama's praises, but I did it. He deserved it. And the press dutifully echoed the Democrat talking point that Obama had made a, quote, gutsy call. Someone ought to make one of those montages of the number of times journalists use that phrase, gutsy call. But if we're in dangerous new territory with Iran, Obama can take a lot of the blame. He failed to support the Green Revolution there because he was too busy negotiating the absurd nuclear deal with the Mullahs. And to get that worse than useless deal in place, he bribed the Iranians with nearly $2 billion in untraceable cash, cash that no doubt funded Soleimani and his murder of our guys. And if Trump is a monster for fighting back against terrorism, what about Obama? In 2016 alone, Obama dropped more than 26,000 bombs on seven Muslim-majority countries. His drone strikes killed countless civilians, including children and some American citizens, one of them a terrorist-supporting 16-year-old. There was no outrage from the Democrats then, and you know what? There was no outrage from me either. We do what we have to do to break the back of this awful Islamist movement. And then, of course, there was the Hillary Clinton-engineered overthrow of Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. Remember how Hillary laughed about that, and a CBS reporter laughed right along with her? Here's the videotape.
2: We came, we saw, (laughs) he died.
0: (laughs) Hilarious. That led to the fatal attacks on our compound in Benghazi, where the Obama administration failed to increase security or send help in time, and then lied and lied and lied about the resulting American deaths. Some Democrats called the recent attack on our compound in Baghdad Trump's Benghazi because Trump sent help instantly, prevented any American deaths, and then struck back by taking out Soleimani. So it was exactly the same. Again, hypocrisy, lies, corruption, these are all part of politics, but not in matters like this. Democrats should grit their teeth, sing Trump's praises, then move on to their other arguments. But they've fallen for the deadliest political error of them all, reactionism. If Trump does it, it's bad. If Republicans like it, they hate it. That way lies insanity. We all do that sometimes. It's part of politics, too. But at some point, at the point where Americans are dying, being murdered, at the point where terrorists are on the loose, that's got to stop. Democrats today show zero sign of liking this country at all. They say the U.S. was founded in racism, which is a stone lie. They attack the First and Second Amendments because they promote individual freedom over socialist schemes. They attack constitutional protections of our federal system like the Electoral College. And if the Supreme Court rules against them on constitutional grounds, they start threatening to pack the court. They've lost the plot of America, and that's bad. But if they will not put our safety first, our lives first, our servicemen and women first, what claim do they have to be our fellow citizens at all? Shame on them. We're going to talk about this with our guest, Michael Duran, one of the clearest thinkers about the Middle East in just a second. But first, let's talk about rockauto.com. I love doing ads for rockauto.com because I just love saying rockauto.com. It's a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. You don't have to go in to the shop and talk to somebody behind uh, the counter who's going to look in her, his or her computer to find what parts you need. You can do it all yourself and save money and save time and save a trip. They have everything you need, engine control model, modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. And whether you're servicing your classic car or just the car you drive around in every day, some of us only have one of those. You get everything you need in a few easy clicks and delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand's specifications and prices you prefer prefer. Go to rockauto.com and say it like this, rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Claven in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. So you have to know, how do you spell clavin? Exactly. That's what I was going to say. And there are no easy in clavin. I just make it look this incredibly easy. So, Michael Duran is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. He specializes in Middle East security issues. We had him on after Trump pulled out of Syria. He was the only person who had a clear take on it. And then, Mike, it's good to see you. Good
2: to see you. <laughs> you,
0: to you published a terrific piece in the New York Times. <laughs> How did you get that piece into the New York Times? <laughs> you know, for me, the,
2: the, the getting that, making. The readers of the New York Times read my take on Suleimani was was almost as good as Suleimani did take it out. I thought the paper was just going to burst into flames in my hand. I did though. I called it an assassination. I didn't. I didn't. I, I thought it was a neutral term. I was just thinking that when you said, "Yeah, I mean, uh, an
0: assassination." You think of a, a, a legitimate guy that you uh, shoot. This guy, guy is a yeah. so terror. I mean, no. I'm, well, I, I'm, I I wish I hadn't used the word assassination. But. Well, explain though why this guy was special. I mean, you start out by talking about the fact that he's different than a lot. Oh, of other people. oh. Th- this is th- this is absolutely strategic. This is the
2: most, uh, important shift in the structure of Middle East politics since the Iraq war. No, no, no doubt. Yeah, it's huge because he's the architect of the, of Iran's militia strategy of building up these militias all over the Arab world uh, he, he was he's the actual foreign minister Zarif is an' errand, his errand boy he 's the actual foreign minister for all middle eastern countries he's the head of, of special operations for for uh, for Iran uh, he's an absolutely unique individual he's a, the big brain the architect of all this he 's the number two guy in Iran really uh, and and Trump said with this uh, with this act. I'm not going to get into this tit for tat with you. I'm not going to play this game where you have a little militia over here that you run, and I pretend that it was that militia that attacked me and not you. I'm just going to go to the head of the snake, and that
0: is totally new. And so this guy, well, he was he was brilliant. I mean, when they call him a brilliant, he was doing a brilliant job destroying he the was, Middle East. He,
2: he was brilliant. Yeah. He was he was um, he was uh, creative, and he was a great also self promoter. Oh. Uh, they they created this
0: whole mystique around him. So he, in the in this article. That, again, I'm shocked to have seen in the New York Times. You you talk about this being the end of Obama's strategy uh, in the Middle East. What what exactly do you mean by that?
2: Well, uh, Obama aligned the United States with Iran from from Baghdad to Beirut in order to get the nuclear deal. And Trump came in and he wanted to reverse that, start working with allies against Iran. And he put maximum pressure, that's all the economic sanctions, um, and got out of the nuclear deal. But Trump doesn't didn't actually have a strategy for pushing back against Iran on the ground. I mean, technically, the Trump policy is rollback. We're going to get them out of Syria, get them out of Iraq, but but there was no real tangible American effort to uh, to do that. Um, and and we ha- are, we're actually in a kind of a kind of an uneasy condominium kind of with the Iranians in Iraq, um, and this has ended all of that. We're now we're, we're now we're not going to work on the ground with our boots on the ground, but we now have something like a ground game. Against Iran, and
0: this is and this is what you had thought would happen every time you're on. You say we just have to stop Iran. A government can't.
2: That's, con- that is our that th- the job of the United States in America is to is to contain and weaken Iran. That's our number one job. If we do that, everything else that we want to do in the region gets easier. If we don't do that, everything we want to do gets
0: harder. One of the things that is constantly uh, being said about Donald Trump is that he doesn't have a strategy, that he's a completely a gut guy, that he just does what he wants to do in the moment, he doesn't know what he's talking about.
2: Do you agree with that? I don't, actually, although I had a conversation recently with somebody who's spent a, a time with Trump, and he tells me, no, no, you're totally wrong. He's totally a gut guy. Oh. Uh, I think that, that I've, I've known a lot of people like this in life that there's a lot going on in their head that they just don't ever. Uh, they don't ever express. I wrote a book about Eisenhower. Uh, it was a very hard book to write because Eisenhower w- wasn't voluble. He didn't go around telling people what he was thinking. He played his cards close to his chest all the time. There was a lot going on in Eisenhower's head. It's very hard to write about it because you can never find the text right. to say, you always, have to ins- you always have to infer what's going on. The difficult thing with Trump, I think, is that sometimes he is erratic, sometimes he is mercurial, sometimes he is just shooting from the hip. Sometimes there's a kind of a, there's, there's, there's thinking behind it. It's very hard to know which is which. He also, I think, likes it that way. He wants to keep everyone
0: guessing. So, one of the complaints, and, and this is a complaint I'm, I don't have a problem with the Democrats expressing. I mean, if they had praised Trump for what he did and then went on to express their fear that this might escalate war in the Middle East, I would have been fine with that. It's all, it's all right to be the opposition party. Is that a legitimate fear? I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of people marching around Baghdad today and uh, complaining about this. Are we afraid that we're gonna get into a big war? Uh,
2: yes and no. There, there's, a, there's a legitimate concern. This is not what they're expressing. There is a legitimate concern. Our position in Iraq is not strong. Uh, but that is the result, as you suggested in your, in your intro, of 10 years of letting them build up these militias. Trump didn't create that situation. Trump said, okay, I'm going to do something about it. Uh, so we're, we're, we're in a very perilous situation with Iran, but we're stronger. If it goes to war, we're going to win. Now, it, it, war doesn't have to be a George W. Bush style invasion of, uh, uh, of, of Iraq. We can shut down in a weekend the economy of Iran. All of their oil exports go out, or 90% of their oil exports go out of one port. Mm. We can shut down that port. We can shut it down forever with with drones. We don't even have to have a a single, uh, any boots on the ground. We can shut down their oil economy. We've already uh, partially done it through the sanctions, but they have an illicit illicit economy. We can do that. All kinds of things that we can do to them that will be a, a national calamity for them, and it will not... Uh, we won't lose a single American, uh, um, American life. We, we we've forgotten that we have that kind of, of, of power, but do we want to do that? No, we don't want to do that. There's all kinds of bad results that could, that could come from that. Um, But the, the Democrats have systematically since Obama downplayed this guy, Soleimani, and what he represents. He represents the will of Iran to drive us out of the region, to take over the region. Iran is responsible with Russia for the 10 million people being uprooted from their homes in Syria. Over five hundred thousand, I would say more like a million people killed in the, in the most hideous way, mm-hmm. uh, and and they have downplayed all that, and they've downplayed the connection to Tehran, and so they're continuing to do it, and they're pre- and they're and they're buying into this uh, uh, mystique that the Iranians want to put out about Soleimani with his poetry and all this nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's a stone cold killer, I, I, that's amazing, and man. a strategic mind behind it. He's the strategic, you know, he created a strategic machine to murder. People uh, and and they they have completely um, they've completely turned a blind eye to that.
0: Iran yesterday I think it was they announced they're no longer going to hold up their end of the nuclear, Obama nuclear deal. And one of the things that has been in the news repeatedly is yes they were fulfilling their end of this Obama nuclear deal. Were they?
2: No, of course they weren't. No, <laughs> no, no, so. no, 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 no. No, there's this whole mythology that yeah. Obama, Obama found this. You know, uh, it, unlike George W. Bush, who had this stupid war in Iraq, Obama had this other way to, uh, to 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 get along with Iran and stabilize the region. He didn't. It all failed. It was all fantasy. It was based on uh, it was based on um, a, a complete misunderstanding of how the world works. That, but so what Trump should do about the it, this nuclear thing? Yeah. He should move to unilateral snapback in the, in the UN. Obama built in, the one good thing Obama did in the JCPOA is they built in this mechanism where, where any signatory to the, original signatory to the JCPOA can reimpose all of the sanctions and all of the, not just the sanctions, more importantly, the Security Council resolutions that, that, uh, that uh, the six Security Council resolutions pertaining to the nuclear program prior to the JCPOA. They were not wiped out by the JCPOA. They were just held in abeyance. We can okay. slap them on again. It's it matters because we, because we can take the nuclear program and put it outside of international law again, and then and then the Europeans this distance between us and the Europeans will will the the resentment from Europe will still be there. But they but they you know they believe in international law, so they'll have to pay attention to it.
0: When it was the other day. Uh, that Iran was posing with China and Russia, essentially saying, now here we are all together. Is there any danger that China and Russia will join this fight? on Yes. Their behalf? Yes. Uh, I'm so glad
2: you mentioned that because, because this is why th- th- for, for your audience in particular, this is why we have to care. Because I, I'm sure a lot of people are saying, what are we even doing there? Why are we yeah, even what really do we so care? Long, yeah. you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pile of garbage and who, who who what do we care if Iran is on top of the pile of garbage or not? We know we should care. Okay. Uh, uh, um, uh, we should care because the fear would be that China, who has this belt and road initiative, will work with Iran to take over all of the oil resources of the Gulf. Okay. Now, that's that's a realistic that's a realistic fear. Think about it, because if I told you a decade ago, when, we're, when we had uh, 150,000 troops in Iraq and I said, you know what I think is gonna happen? I think we're gonna hand this country on a platter to Iran you'd say you're crazy, but that's what happened. That's what we did. So from the Iranian point of view, although they're weaker than us, they see that they have a strategy for, 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 because we, cause we're, cause we're so hearted about our imperialism, you know, of, of just, of just exhausting us and we'll get up and leave. But then they take over the the oil resources. Why does that matter? Those are the oil resources of Europe. We're back to cold war thinking here. They can, the Chinese can then, uh, can then, uh, ha, uh, own the 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 energy resources of Europe, and they can use that to start detaching Europe from the United States. I mean, it's the old thing about you don't want one single power to dominate the Eurasian landmass. That's not good for the United States.
0: And Europe seems to be kind of trend that way. Europe seems to want to do business with Putin instead of us. And uh, is there what's uh, look, the problem? <laughs> look, look, look. We want
2: Europe as part of the American the Western democratic system that we run, and we want that system to be dominant. There are going to be elements in that system who are going to say crazy things, right? You're, you've, you've got people in your family, I'm sure, that you see on Thanksgiving who say crazy things, right? They're still right. part of your family. Right. Not, yeah. you, you, you want them to be at Thanksgiving dinner even though they're going to say crazy things. The, the European take on Iran is uh, pathological. What, uh, what happens next? <laughs> huh, I have no idea. <laughs> he, this Trump totally changed the, 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 you know, they, they were before they would, uh, they would rope us into this tit for tat. Yeah. We would always play their game according to their rules. They, they, they had this four star asset, Suleimani, and they thought that was going to be their, you know, that was going to be the tool that, 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 uh, um, that how uh, was going to use to, to, to really put pressure on Trump and Trump just took it off the board. Uh, now. The humiliation to many is enormous and this, he, th- th- this, this is a regime that cannot be humiliated mm-hmm. like that. So the imperative for him, he's already, he's already vowed vengeance and the imperative for him to go and show the world that he's not going to take this um, is incredibly strong. But. Trump has listed, he said, I've got fifty-two sites. Yeah. I can shut, I can, I can visit a national calamity on you. I don't want to do it, but if you do this, I will do that. Don't make no mistake. So we're at the we're at the brink of war. Neither neither Trump nor Khomeini want to go to war, hmm. but there's a very
0: strong imperative for Khomeini to do something. How he's gonna play it, I don't know. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Michael Duran, senior fellow of the Hudson Institute. What's the Eisenhower book called? Uh Ike's Gamble. It'll change your life. <laughs> <laughs> for the better. Even item. for the better. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot for coming on. <laughs> always, always uh, clarity uh, from Duran and really from almost nowhere else at this point. Uh, you know, I want to talk, I want to continue talking a little bit more about this because I want you to see the kinds of things that the Democrats are saying and, and actually listen to, to some of this. I mean, you have to remember that a mob attacked our embassy, right? And mob attacked our embassy in Baghdad. And the Democrats are saying, "Oh, this is Trump's Benghazi," and the New York Times called them. The New York Times called these people who attacked the embassy called them protesters and mourners. These were this was it was the same thing they tried to do in Benghazi, where they pretended that this was some kind of spontaneous event uh, that was just grew up naturally out of the Iraqi uh, soil, and it wasn't. This was Iran doing what they do, which is using proxy forces to try and chase chase us out of the Middle East, as as Mike said, with a lot at stake, a lot of oil. Oil reserves that a lot of people want to control that will give them more power and more force in a Europe that, let's face it, is morally weak, OK? And so instead of what, you know, it's just you have to go back and remember, not only the weeks and weeks and weeks of uh, Benghazi, the people in Benghazi calling for uh, hiked security. Remember you had Hillary Clinton who took out Gaddafi and, uh, Obama himself called that the worst mistake of his administration, that he was not prepared for the chaos that would ensue. And then remember when Benghazi was attacked 13 hours, you can watch that whole movie, right? They didn't send help. They let four of our guys, uh, get killed. It was an absolute disgrace. As Hillary Clinton was saying, what difference does it make how they died if they died by through my incompetence? Uh, what's the, what difference does it make? And, and that was the kind of thing that was happening again and again and again. Again, ISIS had a caliphate the size of Ohio in Syria and in Iraq. And that was all Obama's doing. While meanwhile, he was sending in pallets of cash. So that's, I'm just setting that up. So here's Trump talking about announcing this raid that killed this, this guy that Mike was just telling us was one of the major, major players in this game of thrones. Soleimani made the death of innocent people his sick passion contributing to terrorist plots as far away as New Delhi and London. Today, we remember and honor the victims of Soleimani's many atrocities, and we take comfort in knowing that his reign of terror is over. Soleimani has been perpetrating acts of terror to destabilize the Middle East for the last 20 years. What the United States did yesterday should have been done long ago. A lot of lives would have been saved. Just recently, Soleimani led the brutal repression of protesters in Iran, where more than a thousand innocent civilians were tortured and killed by their own government. We took action last night to stop a war. We did not take action to start a war. I mean, that's an important point, and again, you know, I don't have a problem with the Democrats being the opposition party. I don't have a problem with them saying, good job, Mr. President. Remember when Osama bin Laden was killed, people were in Times Square cheering. This guy was more important than Osama bin Laden. I realize he hadn't hit us like Osama bin Laden hit us. He hadn't pulled off that kind of elaborate uh, attack on our homeland. I get it. But still, this guy was more important because he was a strategist. He was the engineer. He was the architect of their strategy. So At least, at least a moment of patriotic unity saying, good job, Mr. President. However, you know, we have these problems with your strategies and we hate you and your hair is orange and, you know, you talk to the Ukraine. Whatever. Go ahead. But still, just a moment. But here's Bernie Sanders. He refuses. Bernie Sanders refused to say a single negative word about so many. But this is what he did say.
2: Uh, Yesterday, President Trump ordered the assassination of a top Iranian general, Qassem Soleimani, uh, in Iraq, along with the leader of an Iraqi militia. This is a dangerous escalation that brings us closer to another disastrous war in the Middle East, which could cost countless lives and trillions more dollars and lead to even more death, more conflict, more displacement in that already highly volatile region of the world. All right, but who knows about cocaine? Anyone ever seen cocaine?
1: Yes. 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 All right.
2: Hold it one at a time. What about cocaine? Good thing, bad thing, what? <laughs>
0: And <laughs> we just splice that in as Bernie selling Coke to the kids. Uh, so, so, you know, what he's referring to, he's bringing up the specter of what was called the Colin Powell Doctrine, which was you break it, you own it, right? And that was George W. Bush's big mistake. He went into Iraq, he got rid of Saddam Hussein, had to be done, should have been done, and then he decided that we were going to build a democracy there. And and build a democracy in Afghanistan, which is absurd. We're never going to build a a a democracy in Afghanistan because there is no Afghanistan. It's just a bunch of tribes in a medieval, primitive, really not medieval, primitive uh, area. They're still feuding over kidnappings that took place 300 years ago. So that's what he's saying. But that doctrine is not Trump's doctrine. And as, as Michael Duran was saying, it's very hard to distinguish, to, to figure out exactly what Trump is thinking. I know Ben is always saying he doesn't have a thought in his head, but I just cannot agree with that. You do not have the kind of success the guy's had throughout his life without having plans, without having strategies, and without having a viewpoint. And I think he just doesn't express it all the time, but he is not going in there. Re- remember, as opposed to the you broke it, you fix it idea from Colin Powell, there's also you hurt us, we kill you then we come back and kill you again. And every year, we come back and kill your top guys. Until finally, look, These guys are thinking about one of two things. They're either thinking about how to hurt us, or they're thinking about how to escape being hurt. If they're thinking about how to escape being hurt, they have less time to think about how to hurt us. It's that simple. It really is that simple. There's nothing else they're going to think about. They're not doing what they're doing because we did something wrong. It's not like, why do we hate us? This is what always drove me crazy after 9-11. People saying, why do they hate us? They hate us because they have an anti-freedom, small-minded, hate-filled philosophy that they are acting out in the world. At least pay them the respect. I mean, this is what drives me nuts about the left with these people is they treat them like they have no agency. They treat them like children. They say, oh, it must be something we did that made them angry. No, they're adult people with a philosophy, which includes killing us. So we're either killing them or they're plotting how to kill us. They're either afraid or they're bold. Those are the only two options we have. And obviously Trump is trying to choose the latter. He wants them afraid. You know, They keep calling this an assassination, and Mike said that he called in his New York Times, amazing New York Times op-ed, he said that uh, he called it an assassination. But the reason it's not is an assassination is illegal. This is totally legal. Alan Dershowitz wrote about this in the journal today, the Wall Street Journal. He said the president has the constitutional authority to take military actions short of declaring war that he and his advisors deem necessary to protect American citizens. This authority is extremely broad, especially when the actions must, by their nature, be kept secret from the intended target. The sole power to declare war, but it hasn't formally exercised that power since World War II, and since then the U.S. has fought long and costly wars in Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. So here's Liz Warren. Liz Warren started out because Liz Warren is still there's still somewhere deep 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 inside uh, Pocahontas Elizabeth Warren. (laughs) There's still deep inside her somebody with a little bit of common sense. She started out calling Soleimani the murderer that he is. And then she got hit by the left and she pulled it and she started pushing this incredible conspiracy theory. Here she is pushing it to Jake Tapper. I think the question that we ought to focus on is why now? You know, why not a month ago? Why not a month from now? And the answer from the administration seems to be they can't keep their story straight on this. They pointed in all different directions. And you know, the last time we watched them do this was this summer over Ukraine. As soon as people started asking about the conversation between Donald Trump and the president of Ukraine and why aid had been held up to Ukraine, the administration did the same thing. They pointed in all directions about what was going on. Look at her cheekbones. look at her cheekbone. You know, this this is the thing. I mean, this is amazing. If a right-winger were saying this, we'd be hearing about Fox News. We'd be hearing about conspiracy theories. We'd be hearing about all this talk about how crazy it was. But when the left does it, it's like, yeah, Trump is really going to call a bombing raid because he's afraid of impeachment. I mean, right now impeachment is, is just good for Trump. It's a humiliation to the Democrats. They're still stalling about bringing it to the Senate. Mitch McConnell is is making noise like maybe he'll just vote the whole thing down without seeing their stupid impeachment thing. If this was such a crisis, if it was such a crisis that President Trump said something he sh- maybe shouldn't have said to the U- Ukrainian president, why aren't we hurrying to save our, our constitute, our dear, dear constitution that Nancy Pelosi loves so much? We're not doing anything because it was a purely political kabuki show. Trump is not bombing people to get out of this impeachment. It's absolutely ridiculous. And you know, the thing that's coming out also, of course, is from our entertainment community, including guys like Colin Kaepernick, who called this like a racist attack. There's nothing new about American terrorist attacks against black and brown people for the expansion of American imperialism. That's Colin Kaepernick. Uh, And uh, Michael Moore said, uh, basically, we're just killing this guy. Now you're supposed to learn to hate him. All these people came under fire yesterday at the Golden Globes Award from Ricky Gervais, who deserves a medal in and of itself. And now we're going to talk about that in the Golden Globes. Now, listen, I'm not paying attention to most of these award shows, but I was paying attention to this. But first, we've got to take a break. Uh, we're going to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. So come on over to dailywire.com and subscribe, because this year, as you're probably well aware, is going to be crazy as the Democrats keep trying one way or another to get Trump out of office. The best way to stay informed on all things 2020 is to become a Daily Wire member and get comprehensive news and opinion from us on demand. Today is the last day to get 20% off all memberships. Yep, 20% off all memberships when you use the promo code DW2020. You don't even have to know how to spell Claven, you just have to know how to spell DW. It's spelled DW. 2020. Members get our articles ad-free, access to all of our live broadcasts and show library, the full three hours of The Ben Shapiro Show, select bonus content, access to the mailbag, and more. Plus, our new all-access tier gets you into live online Q&A discussions with me, with Ben, Matt Walsh, Michael Knowles, plus our site's writers and special guests with everything going on, you can turn to us for answers and the difference between our answers and everybody else's is ours are correct. Again, that's promo code DW2020 for 20% off all memberships today only. Join today and stay informed on all things 2020. Come on over to dailywire.com. All right, so while Trump was killing the enemies of America overseas, comedian Ricky Gervais was taking them out here. He was at the Golden Globes. This was the fifth and last time he was going to host the Golden Globes, and as he said, he no longer cares, and he actually never cared, he said. And you know this speech was a big deal because both the New York Times and the Washington Post, who are living under the illusion that anyone cares what they think about culture. They still think the New York Times used to have a really powerful hand in culture and still has a powerful hand in stagnant, sclerotic, old-fashioned Culture, uh, like what New York people think is culture, but they are have absolutely no relevance. But they both, New York Times and the Washington Post, said, "Oh, this was this speech didn't mean it. Oh, it, 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 nobody cared. Nobody cared about." No, no, no. This is the way they handle these things. They either ignore them or they pretend that we, who really know the culture, know this didn't matter. But the fact is, nobody was watching the Golden Globes, but everybody was tweeting Ricky Gervais's speech and Hollywood hypocrites. I think it was was trending on uh, Twitter. Here's the thing. There's there's an important clip where Gervais told people to get up and accept your awards and don't make political speeches. And everybody's playing that part of the clip. But they're not playing the part that comes before. I'm going to play the whole clip. And you have to listen carefully because this is the heart of what Gervais said. And it's so important to our understanding of culture right now and of the dilemma leftists are in. Here's Gervais telling people, uh, telling the award winners not to come up and make uh, political speeches We couldn't play what he told him to do, but he said, get off. Thank you. But everyone's playing the part where he says, don't make political speeches because you don't know what you're talking about. But what he begins by saying is he talks about Apple, Amazon, Disney, and the fact that these are corrupt and abusive companies. And Tim Cook of Apple was sitting right there with that little tight smile on his face like he was thinking, I'm going to have this guy killed. And, and this is the same guy, Tim Cook, who got up and made that incredibly self-righteous speech about how he was going to ban hate speech from his platforms because it's the right thing to do. I mean, and that what that, does that mean? It means people who disagree with Tim Cook. It means the CEO of a billion gazillion dollar company is going to be telling ordinary Americans what they can and can't say on his platforms. It is a violation of every American principle. It is not righteousness. It is self-righteousness. And these are companies and you know Disney owns ABC, ABC, are the guys who killed the Jeffrey Epstein story and then went after the whistleblower who revealed that they killed the Jeffrey Epstein story. I mean, these are and and Gervais said something to say about Epstein, too. That was pretty funny. He was talking about uh, the show Bird Box, uh, which was on Netflix and was kind of uh, if you saw a quiet place where you weren't allowed to speak. This was a, a apocalyptic story where you weren't allowed to open your eyes or you would see something that would drive you insane. And here's how he announced that award.
1: Our next presenter starred in Netflix's Bird Box, a movie where people survive by acting like they don't see a thing. Sort of like working for Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) You did it. I didn't. You did it. All right, that was the wrong clip. I wanted wanted the clip
0: on that. Let's go back and just play the clip on Epstein, uh, the cut seven.
1: You could binge-watch the entire first season of Afterlife instead of watching this show. That, that's a show about a man who wants to kill himself because his wife dies of cancer, and it's still more fun than this, OK? <laughs> Spoiler alert, um, season two is on the way, so in the end, he obviously didn't kill himself, just like Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> Shut up! I know he's your friend, but I don't care.
0: <laughs> I know he's your friend. I mean, look... It's important. This is a guy who did know all these people, who knew the richest people there. He made a joke about Ronan Farrow uh, coming after all the executives because they're all sexually abusive. (laughs) It's... It matters that these are the people lecturing you and me about our morality. These are the people who are selling you a kind of feminism that makes no sense. I'm getting screamed at on Twitter because of what I said about the witcher and women in sword fights, which which what I said was absolutely true. And everybody's yelling and screaming, oh, no, women could fight in a medieval battle with a sword killed in two seconds. Every every single woman who did that would be killed in two two seconds, except maybe the occasional exception. I mean, I'm willing to admit that all all things have exceptions. But but they're yelling at me about that, but they forget that these images are created by the people who abuse them. These images of feminism are created by the people who abuse them I don't abuse them, and they think I'm the bad guy because I explode the fictions that these people create. Okay, I mean this is the thing: they are living in a world of fiction. They're living in a world that they think uh, is is beautiful and real because it lies to them. Not just women; all the left. They're living in this world where Apple, Tim Cook, getting up and saying he will censor free speech. They think that that's profound, but the fact that he's using uh, slaves to build his iPhones—well, uh, that—that's just a uh, you know. I gotta have a cheap iPhone, you know. My, I don't want to, you don't want me to pay more, do you? I mean, geez, I got my kid in these private schools. You know, I can't pay more for my iPhone. So if a Chinese slave has to build them, that's the way it is. You know, it, 60 Minutes last night did a thing on Jeffrey Epstein, which basically was catching up with Fox News. I mean, this is the thing that the mainstream media does all the time. Fox News. You know, Fox, they don't even have to argue. They just say the word. They just drip disdain. Fox News. That just, that's just something they say on Fox News. And then... Six weeks later, they're reporting what Fox News was reporting. They had that guy, uh, Michael Baden, the uh, guy who was sat in for Epstein's lawyers on the autopsy and said, look, this may have been suicide, but it looks like murder to me. Right. And they just found out so many things had gone wrong in in the uh, security for Jeffrey Epstein. They don't have any film of Epstein dead in his cell. There was all kinds of notes that he was being abused by uh, prison guards. You know, this is stuff that's been on Fox News all this time. It's on Fox News that they're talking about this stuff, but this is also stuff that was covered up by ABC, owned by Disney. So when Disney is making, you know, little princess movies in which the princess doesn't, she doesn't need a man. She's just going to be a queen on her own, and she's going to be powerful. Those people are covering up the guys who are sleeping with little girls. That's what they're doing. This is ABC Disney, and they're covering it up, and then they're telling you what will make you as a woman be strong. Think about it for a minute. Just think about it. Think about who you're listening to. Think about who is selling you your idea of yourself and what they are really doing. And, you know, I, as in terms of the... Um, of Weinstein, of Harvey Weinstein. And I won't, I, we played that by accident before, but Gervais was joking about that too. I'm reading Ronan Farrow's book. I'm almost done with it. Uh, and Ronan Farrow writes about the book as how he exposed Weinstein. And this is at, uh, at NBC where he was working. And not only did they do everything to kill this story about, for for, for Weinstein's sake, on Weinstein's request, in fear of Weinstein, and in tribute to Weinstein, they tried to kill this story, but then they lied and lied and lied about it and tried to get Farrow to lie about it, too. And Farrow, you know, I mean, Farrow is not exactly, uh, you know, Humphrey Bogart. He's kind of like this this fra- fragile guy who's had a very difficult life and he writes about himself, honestly, as a kind of fragile guy, and they were just putting all this pressure on him, not just to kill the story, which they, they would never come out and just say, kill the story. They would say, well, let's Put it on the back burner, Ronan. Let's say, you know, let's put it, let's press pause. Let's press. We don't have this story. Whereas when he brought it to the New Yorker, the New Yorker ran it almost immediately. I mean, they fact checked it and they added to it, but they ran it very quickly. Ask yourself this. Ask yourself this. Would the Weinstein story have run at all if Hillary Clinton had won the election? Because one of the things about Farrow, I mean, look, I, I pay full, I give him full credit for being a hero in in breaking this story. But he then also went after Trump for a consensual affair, and I'm not condoning Trump's consensual affairs. I'm just saying it's not the same thing. He went after Kavanaugh with very, very little proof. So I mean, there is this bias there, and I'm not sure Weinstein. I'm not sure that Weinstein still wouldn't be a powerful producer in Hollywood, completely untouched if Hillary Clinton had won the election. So these are corrupt people. These are hypocritical people. And when they preach to you, you have a right to say to yourself, well, wait a minute, wait, wait just a second here. You know, Are these the people who should be telling me what I should be like as a woman? Are these the sort of people who should be telling me what injustice is? Or are they the people who are actually, actually committing the sorts of injustices that I want to change? It's that simple. It is that simple. It is not, it's not the politics. It's the lies. It's the lies and what they really do. You know, let me end on on a final reflection about this, because like I said, I've been being under attack because I said that a woman couldn't be in a medieval battle uh, with a sword. And of course, people would say, well, what about Joan of Arc, who never fought with a sword? She would just show up and inspire people. But the reason people get so upset about this is because the left has been told that lies can change the world. And it's true. Lies can change the world, but they can't change the world for the better. If you are living in lies, you are not going to be happy in the long run. And this in in feminine, you know, it's, it's been a long-term joke about women that they want to be lied to. The woman comes to you and says, Oh, does this dress make me look fat? And if you say yes, even if it does, she gets angry at you. I mean, that's an old joke, right? There used to be a commercial about it with honest Abe who had to tell the truth. And so his wife got angry at him. But Do you want to be lied to? Is that what you want? Do you want to be told that in a fist fight with a guy your size, you're going to somehow come out of it okay? Do you want to be told that that's where your strength lies, that your strength lies in being a man, that your strength lies in having the kinds of ambitions that men have? Or do you want to be told the truth? The thing is, The left has convinced itself that if you call a man who says he's a woman a woman, somehow that will make him a woman. They have convinced themselves that narrative changes everything. Narrative changes nothing. The truth remains the truth, and it's the truth that sets you free. And that's why they get so upset over fictions, instead of really looking at the facts and really looking at the kind of people who are selling them the fictions they sell. i got to stop there, but I will be right back here tomorrow. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jessua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is McKenna Waters. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. President Trump responded to Iranian attacks on U.S. servicemen and diplomats last Thursday by splattering Iran's top military official all over the Baghdad airport. We will examine the brilliant geopolitical strategy behind the droning, and we will attempt to explain why the left is so upset over the death of the world's most notorious terrorist. Then, speaking of killing it, Ricky Gervais absolutely slays at the Golden Globes. All that and more, check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.